you have to think about others before yourself. It's hard and it's something I'm not great at, but I always try to be thinking about like, how can I look out for my team, make sure what they have, what they need. Like the best leaders lead to serve. I strongly believe that. Hi, welcome to the Halftime Snacks. My name is Ronena Einbinder. This show features the stories of talented people working in sports. Are you ready? Let's go. Today's snack features an electric entrepreneur who's based in Los Angeles, California. He is the CEO and co-founder of Engage. Engage is like the Airbnb of events. This company digitizes the process of booking athletes and talent for anything from a speech to a once-in-a-lifetime experience. They currently work with over 2,000 athletes, speakers, and agents, including Tara Lowens, David Ortiz, Bo Jackson, and more. In today's conversation, I plan to ask him about what it's like to work directly with agents and athletes, the booking industry, challenges of coordinating events, and so much more. So go grab your favorite snack, whether that's a beer, coffee, chips, or taco, and join me in this conversation with Mr. Daniel Hennes. Love the intro. Love the enthusiasm. It's great. How are you, Daniel? Good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, man. Happy to host you on the show. Let's kick it off with an icebreaker. Man, I want to ask you, what's the best thing you ever bought for 100 bucks or less? The best thing I ever bought for 100 bucks or less? Ooh. You know, I would say, I mean, this is way less. I would say a good quality dessert, you know, whether it's a good set of ice cream from one of my favorite spots in LA. There's this restaurant up in Los Angeles that serves butter cake. That's my favorite Mm. dessert ever. So that's the best thing I've ever bought, even though it goes away and you have to buy it again and you don't get it for forever. It's the best thing I've ever bought for under a hundred bucks. Not even close. That's awesome. Is that your favorite dessert or you have some? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm a big dessert, you know, ice cream. I'm a big chocolate (laughs) ice cream person, but this butter with this butter cake it's it's at this restaurant mastro's the greatest dessert <laughs> in human history it's it's not even close Dude, that's insane i wasn't yeah. expecting this answer but i think i'm, that's a, a, I'm a unique guy there you go yeah <laughs> let's go um i'm so excited because i want to talk to you about so many things especially uh, of course engage the story of the company i think it's a unique idea i haven't seen it everywhere anywhere else um and i want to just ask you specifically what was the aha moment when you when you realized that this is something that could potentially be big and what really drove you to build Engage? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, what sort of drove us to build Engage was, you know, my college experience. I went to USC and when I was a freshman there, I was telling you this before we got started, but my freshman year roommate was this incredible kid, Jake Olson, who was completely blind and played long snapper for our football team. Really unique story. And I started managing his speaking engagements and events right away. Um, and then junior year of college, a couple of years back, he played in his first game and his story went super viral. And we started getting flooded with speaking and appearance requests. I picked up Ryan Harris as a client. Ryan played in the NFL for 10 years, won a Super Bowl at the Broncos, and he did a lot of speaking. So I sort of started looking for a better way to do the speaking process found that there really wasn't one, um, called a bunch of athletes, agents, speakers we knew to get a feel for the industry. And that's what sort of led to us founding Engage. I would say the sort of like aha moment, like where we thought it could get bigger and bigger than we thought. I would say it's actually very recent. I, I, I think, you know, last year when COVID started, 
that ended up becoming, you know, at first we were panicked, right? Because we're an events business. What are you going to do? But that ended up becoming the best thing that ever happened to our business because all of a sudden every athlete, agent, you know, celebrity speaker, they were all unemployed at the exact same time looking for unique ways to, to monetize their fame and their following. So they really turned to technology as a solution um, for bringing them deals and agents became much more open to embracing our platform. And it led to literally our talent base grew by a factor of 10. So I, I think that was kind of the aha moment where like, wow, you know, we got lucky that it was the right time, but like we might really have something great for this time and now going forward. That's interesting. Do you think that the technology element or the, you know, not really on person element of events, as you mentioned, is going to stay after COVID? How, like, what's the, what, what's your approach? What do you think about that? I mean, look, we're still seeing a lot of virtual events that are being booked, even into this fall and, and even starting to talk about early next year. I think what's going to happen is we'll see a hybrid where the high end unique conferences, you're always going to have that in-person element because there's something special about that. But I think whether it's, you know, the event will be in-person and live streamed for a company's employees across the country, I think that'll exist. But I also think for smaller scale events where companies don't want to spend 50 grand or even 25 grand and talent doesn't want to leave their bedroom, I think there will always be a market for these quick sort of Zoom calls, you know, WebEx calls. We even built our own live stream software for that reason. Like, I think there's always going to be a market for, for those sort of virtual events. Let's talk about the events industry. I think it's a very unique one, very interesting one, covers many different industries such as in entertainment, you know, music, uh, sports, um, you know, even like business and all different things like there's events almost in any industry. So I want to I want to ask you in your experience, of course, what are three or of the most relevant challenges that you found in the event industry? And how are you guys trying to like, get around these challenges or trying, you know, how are you guys trying to solve those challenges when and how you're facing them? Yeah, I think the challenges. So there are challenges on two sides, right? You have challenges as an agent, right? One of your challenges as an agent is finding deals for your clients. It's negotiating deals for your clients in an efficient way. And it's sourcing deals for all of your clients, not just the top 1%. So those are the three challenges on the agent side. On the event planner side, it's, okay, how do you find the right speaker or the right person to make sure that they deliver the right message? How do you make sure that you're not getting ripped off by some middleman? Um, and how do you make sure that you can you know, negotiate the process appropriately and you know, position yourself well for the agent? So we sort of exist. We solve these problems really just by bringing, I would say, two things, technology, one, and transparency is the second thing. So like, Our technology makes it super easy to process payment and sign contracts and chat about the experience, which makes all the logistics super easy so that agents can spend less time on the logistics and more time servicing all of their clients. So technology makes the process super easy and our technology makes it super easy for companies to find speakers and athletes and for agents who have their athletes out there to be found. So we make it super easy. The transparency aspect basically One of the things a lot of speakers bureaus will do is they will list names on their website of people they don't even represent. Like if you go Google Jake Olson's name, he pops up on a bunch of speakers bureaus that we have never even spoken to that list him and claim to represent him. That's really dishonest. So on our platform, people know when they come to our platform that 100% of the people on our website, my partner and I either know personally 
or we know their actual agents personally who have permission to list them on things like this. So because of that, we avoid the sketchy middleman, somebody saying they represent person X and really charging an extra 30% fee. Like we bring a lot of transparency and technology to a very sort of murky analog industry. Wow, that's uh, fascinating, man. I'm sure that your network is quite unique. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a small world in sports. If you do right by people and and you know, you're ambitious and honest, it, the world gets small very fast. Yeah, but I'm super interested in, in that element that you mentioned because, man, I remember meeting actually one time Terry Lowens at a Michael Jordan's yeah. uh, uh, camp on the summer. Yeah, they're good friends. Yeah, yeah, they're good friends. And I saw him there, man, and he had zero time for even like pictures, you know? So I wonder, I wonder specifically like he was, you know, retired and everything, but like athletes that are currently, you know, active athletes playing in the higher leagues or whatever, they're super busy. So they don't really have time or their agents don't really have time for trying to negotiate deals or trying to see how they can set up, you know, things for others. So I, I want to, I want to ask you in your experience, like what, what's the, what's the good thing and the bad thing about working with athletes? And if you can like just separate it into also athletes and, and agents, that would be, I think, interesting for the audience. Yeah, I would say there are only really two, I mean, we love working with athletes. So I'll say there are only really two difficulties, one big, one small. One of the big ones is when they're in season and active, it's basically impossible to do anything with them. Like you have, I mean, for baseball players, right? You can't do anything for baseball guys, basically 183 days of the year because they're in season. So one of the issues is like time and logistics. The other issue randomly is a lot of the athletes we work with do not use email, which is just very difficult to like communicate, like detailed, long things via text. So the not using email is frustrating, but those are really the only two things. The upside, right, is they're really creative individuals. And when you let them work with you to create something they like, you'll get a lot of buy-in. And I think Terrell Owens is a perfect example. You know, Tio has this reputation of being hard to work with and this and that, but For us, he's been one of the easiest, most outgoing people we've worked with because our approach is always, Terrell, what do you like doing? Let's, let's help figure out how we can help you make money doing what you enjoy. And if you help people make money doing what they like to do, you have a really good recipe for success in any business and in any industry. So I think the, the benefits are, you know, they're, they're such powerful, fun people to be around. And when you give them, you know, when you help them make money doing something they like, their energy is infectious and contagious and they tell their friends and they become ambassadors for you and they become advocates for you. I mean, Terrell did so much to help our business grow. So when you, when you have the right athlete who gets what you're doing and, and wants to be your partner, a lot of good things can happen. Yeah. It's kind of like democratizing the platform they already own and the, the popularity and the knowledge and their experiences. Exactly. That's the whole thing. I mean, that's our whole thing. And that's why like one of the things we do to your point about democratizing, it's so well said. One of the things we do is, you know, we do these sweepstakes where basically you can, as a fan, whether you have $5 or $500, you can enter for the chance to win, you know, like a Zoom call with Udonis Haslam on the Miami Heat. Or we did a bird ride with Terrell Owens where you could enter for the chance to win, or you could enter for the chance to win autographed cleats from your favorite NFL player. So one of the things we did is like all of these guys have followings. And so we took that, we're like, okay, how do we raise some money for charity? and democratize that access. So a lot of talent will come to us now and say, hey, I want to give away an autographed jersey, donate it to charity, and give all of my fans the chance to win. And, and we do a lot of that stuff and, and really enjoy it. I want to ask you 
and I want I want to know if you can go a little bit deeper on the, the negotiation side, since it's a since I I think it's a service. At the end of the day, it's 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 basically a service. If you probably a productized service, but more of like a service. So it's very you have to shape it uniquely to each one of the demands uh, requirements or, or so. How exactly does it work? Do do I sign up to the page? Then I reach out to let's say uh, the big papi and I send him and I, and I was like, listen, man, it's my birthday. I want you to be uh, joining a Zoom call with all my friends or something. Like, how, how does it, how exactly does it work? Do I do I say like, man, this is what I have. This is uh, can can you do it for me? Like, how does it work? Yeah, it's a great question. So basically, the way it works, if you're let's take David Ortiz as a great example. If you're interested in booking David you would go to his profile, you would see the different experiences he offers. So you would see that he does a custom thing so you can submit whatever you have in mind. You see that he does a speech, you see that he does a Q&A. You go to his profile, you select the experience you want. And then once you click request, you're taken to a page where you fill out, you know, date, time, location, a message for the talent, your budget, if there's travel involved, um, and how you want to split the payments. Is it 50% upon acceptance and 50% upon completion, 100% upfront, et cetera. So you would fill out all those details. You would submit that offer. Um, and then that would go directly to David's agent who would get a notification. Hey, you know, Ronan submitted an offer for David. Click here to view the details. And David's agent could go in and chat with you and say, this part looks good. We need to tweak this. This part looks fine. He actually needs this. And he can update the offer and send you back a counter through the platform. So all of those details can be done through the platform. And then once you guys agree to terms, you will both approve it. And then you're also able to process payment through the platform. Everyone gets an invoice right away so that it's all tracked. No more like remembering to write checks or hunting down checks. Like we just bring a lot of efficiency to the, you know, fulfillment of these events. Sounds really fun. And <laughs> I, I wonder how do you think this industry, you know, the booking and, and events industry, of course, after COVID is going to look like let's say let's say aim for five and ten years what do you think is going to change what do you think is needed over over there what do you think is going to happen what other kinds of technologies or startups are you eyeing in the in the space and that you think that it's going to be a thing later or maybe you even gonna incorporate to what you guys do what 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 do you think is going to happen there so i think the whole booking industry is slowly but surely trending towards what I call distant remediation, which is you don't, uh, basically five to 10 years from now, right? There's no need for a speaker's bureau. Basically the way speaker's bureaus work is if you want to book someone through a speaker's bureau, you go to the speaker's bureau, you call them, they make some recommendations, then you have someone you like, then the speaker's bureau doesn't ever let you actually talk to the talent or the agent. They're the middlemen this whole way. And they make the process more inefficient. They mark up fees 30%. It's like, look at what happened to travel agents when Expedia came along, right? The travel agent business doesn't really exist anymore. Or look at what Uber did to the taxi industry. The speaking industry is ripe for that exact same type of disruption. So long-term, I see a significant trend towards technology as people get younger and more open to using platforms. But overall, from a talent side, I see talent as a whole becoming more comfortable using platforms to monetize their fame. I mean, one of my good friends and mentors is Stephen Galanis, who's the CEO of this company, Cameo. And Stephen's whole thing is, you know, people are more famous than they are rich. And it's an excellent point. And I think over the next five to 10 years, we'll see that gap closing where platforms are going to make it easier and easier 
for you know athletes, celebrities, speakers, anyone with a story and a following to monetize that as platforms are going to make that a ton easier. And, you know, because that we look at companies like Cameo that Steven's an investor of ours. So Cameo, I think they're doing an amazing job in their space and they can be a partner. You look at a company like Opendoors, they're a partner of ours, Blake Lawrence over there is incredibly bright and helping with social media endorsements for talent. Like all of these different areas of the like talent earning ecosystem are slowly but surely being disrupted by technology. And we plan to be that technology in the speaking space. Dude, that's awesome. It actually reminds me of a tweet I saw recently of, I don't remember who was it, but he said that your net uh, worth is equal to your follower count. And that, that makes a lot of sense if you think about it. And if you, if you have a big follower count and you, have, and, and you can't compare it to your net worth, then you're doing something wrong, right? Because you have a platform, you have, expo you have exposure, so you have, you have to find ways in monetizing. And I feel like you guys have I've like hit the nail on the head when it comes to that. And I would add something to that. I would say it's your follower count, but even more importantly, it's how engaged your audience is. It's one thing to have a million. I'd rather, and we see like athletes that we work with that have a hundred thousand engaged followers are way more successful on sweepstakes and giveaways than athletes who have a million or even two million followers that aren't engaged. Like engaged followings are the key. That's awesome, man. I have a last question when it comes to engage. And I want to know your opinion on the, you know, classic chicken and the egg uh, uh, dilemma, which, which is what do you grow first? Is it the, the, the demand or the, or the supply, right? Because if you have tons of athletes, but no one's really coming to book them, then you have a problem. But also if you have, if you have like ton, thousands of people, probably if you have thousands of people, it's going to be easier if you start to get athletes on the platform. But in your experience, How's, how does that uh, dilemma looks like in Engage? What, how are you guys like trying to solve it? What's the approach? What's the conversation? Just walk us through it. Our whole thing was we always wanted to build the talent side first. Um, even before we had companies, we knew that if a company came to us, we needed to be able to fill their demand. We needed to have the right people on the roster they could see. So our whole thing was we always wanted to build the talent first. Now, because of that, because we were building talent before we had a client base, we were always very transparent. We were like, look, we are a startup. We are this amount old. We have done X, Y, and Z. Like, here's what you're getting into. There are no guarantees that your client ever gets a deal on our platform. Like we were always very transparent, but I think agents always respected the transparency. And also we created something with no downside where there's, we don't charge a fee for agents to use our platform. They can list their clients on a bunch of different platforms. So there's no downside to using our platform. And then what happened, I mean, we have guys who were on our platform for a year before they got anything. And now they're making tens or $20,000 because you know we've built the client base now for them. So what we're seeing right now is we're seeing really explosive growth on the corporate side now that we have the right talent. Like if you get the right talent and you have the right relationships and it's genuine and authentic, the corporate sort of spending side will come as long as, I mean, we have a brilliant person running our marketing. We have investors who fund a lot of our sales stuff. As long as you will hit the pavement and hustle and sell, that part will come if you have the talent. And, and that's sort of always been our approach is just like build one side first. And now we build both sides concurrently. We're always adding more talent. We're always adding more customers. But at first it was build the talent, get them on board, be upfront with everyone so they know what to expect and let it roll from there. I love it, man. I, I love it. What are some of the like marketing strategies that you guys are using? What's the main, what's the main source of, 
uh, marketing that you guys are eyeing or what's the, what's the strategy? So it's, it's two really key things. First, we do a lot of digital stuff, a lot of social media, Google, a lot of digital stuff mm. for speakers and events, right? That really matters. But then the, the key is too, is, you know, I have, I have a group of guys who I personally represent and manage who do a lot of speaking. So, you know, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars to be made just by me monetizing my current client base and making sure I'm staying in touch with people at Microsoft and AIG and do they have any needs? Is there anything I can do to help? Is there anything I can do to go above and beyond? So it's always running Google ads and email marketing and all that stuff to get new clients, but it's also really, really making sure that every existing client we have has a good experience with us, feels value, knows we're available to help, knows we're responsive. So that's really how we do it. It's like, we like to make sure that everyone gets the VIP service for our current clients and that we're doing a lot digitally to bring in new clients. Is it is your focus 50-50 or you're focusing more on your current clients and the existing customers that paid already or you're trying to find new ones? Yeah. What's, the, what's the best? So I am focused pretty much solely on handling the incoming stuff from existing clients, people who come to us and want offers. I am focused on you know doing deals that are coming in our marketing team, our CMO, right? He's focused on the other side. Mm -hmm. And that's what you have to do as a startup. You have to divide and conquer in a lot of ways. And he's focused on making sure our digital ads are set up well, making sure we're getting good traffic, making sure we're getting good inquiries, seeing which topics are getting the most clicks. So like I have someone else who's really good at that, do that because it's not what I would be good at. So we sort of, we, we do both things, but I don't do both. Love that, man. Wow, what, a, what an awesome halftime snack this has been, man. The time has flown so fast and I can't leave this conversation, man, without asking you a more personal question. And I want to ask you, what do you think makes a great leader? Characteristics, uh, skills, traits? What do you think yeah, about uh, what, what's the, yeah. Look, I mean, I think that's, I don't think anyone has a perfect answer to that question. I would say some of the things that are important to me, one, like if you want to be a great leader, you have to think about others before yourself. It's hard and it's something I'm not great at, but I always try to be thinking about like, how can I look out for my team, make sure what they have, what they need. Like the best leaders lead to serve. I strongly believe that. The other thing you need, especially if you're gonna lead, need a startup, you need a lot of passion, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of knowledge. Like if you're a leader, you need people to respect you, not because of your title, but because they know how planned and how well thought out you are and how much you know. And they also draw your energy and enthusiasm. Like nothing, I mean, you know, one of our investors always says in business, like polite persistence wins the day. Like you need to have the energy and the enthusiasm to stay on top of everything. And people will buy into that, whether it's clients or your own team or people around, like you need to have passion and enthusiasm and authenticity and the rest you can learn. Dude, that's awesome, man. Uh, what a legend. Daniel, man, I want to thank you so much for coming to the Halftime Snacks, man. It was an absolute pleasure to host you. Can't wait to see what's going to happen in one, five, and 10 years out of you and Engage. I really can't wait to see. If you guys are looking for investors, please let me know, even though I don't have any money. <laughs> But uh, man, it would be fun to, to have more conversations in the future. So you're always welcome to the Halftime Snacks, man. And yeah, man, thank you so much. Before you leave, I want to thank you for listening. To hear this or any other halftime snack, check out the full archive on my website, which you can find on the show notes. See you next week! <laughs>